The follow-up is simple. Ask a question, listen to the answer, then follow up. I'm your host, Noah Kozlov. Enjoy. The follow-up today is with Bryant McBride, a longtime friend and colleague who I met when I was a college student back in 2003. He's a <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can laugh now. He's a former <laughs> NHL agent. was the was the NHL's first African American league office executive. And Bryant is the producer of the documentary Willie, the story of Willie O'Ree, hockey's first professional black player who made his debut with the Boston Bruins in January of 1958. Bryant, why did it take 60 years for Willie O'Ree to be inducted into Hockey's Hall of Fame? It's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think I think a lot of it has to do with what I'll uh, just kind of characterize as the status quo, right? Um, you know, Willie um, Willie did amazing things in breaking the, the, the color barrier in 19... 57, 58 with the Bruins, and um, and then um, went on and played 22 years of pro hockey at a very high level. Um, and, and as many people know, you know, all, all with one eye, which is incredible. If you play the game at that level, to play it without, you know, without uh, both eyes is, is just exceptional. Beyond that, he then he worked in uh, he worked in in California as a car salesman and fast food places. He managed fast food places. He worked in security. He fed his family, right? That, that's what he did. And then he, um, and then, you know, I was fortunate enough to find him in, <clears throat> excuse me, in uh, 93, 94, and asked him to come on side at the NHL to to help bolster a program that we had started around, um, uh, around disadvantaged kids across the U.S. and Canada to provide them opportunities to the game. And I, I, I say all that because along the way, you know, Willie consistently broke the status quo. You know, he, okay, I'm going to be the first black player. Okay, I'm going to play with one eye. Okay, I'm going to, um, you know, find a way to do what I, you know, what I have to do to make sure my family's doing well. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to go and I'm going to help build programs for inner city kids. None of that is staying with the status quo. So along those lines, to kind of put it in the bigger rhetorical sense of uh, or frame it in the bigger macro sense, I should say, of of just race relations in, in the United States and uh, in North America um, is, you know, OK, civil rights happened. OK, everything's better now. You know, Martin Luther King and voting rights, everything's better now. It's not better now. There are things that happen and continue to happen that make it very, very difficult for people of color to 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 get ahead and to and to climb to the highest ranks, um, just based on the, you know 400 years of history, and and this was just yet another milestone for Willie to he had done such great things. He joined the NHL at 61. Um, he joined the NHL at 61. He's now 83, and he got to be 82, and. Um, he got to be the he got to be 82 and in, in, in the 60th anniversary of his first game and and there was just that kind of ah, okay Willie's not in the hall so what well, that's that's not right so what right that's the status quo that's what I'm speaking of so we had to do that yet again and find a way and a bunch of us a bunch of people in Fredericton get a ton of credit and and a, and a bunch of other people outside who felt that the status quo wasn't acceptable um, so there was no overt like gee let's keep him out of the Hall of Fame but 
equally as as insidious is the status quo. We had to break that. Did you ever get an explanation? And I know you have such close relationships at the NHL. Did you ever get an explanation of when you worked there, why he wasn't in the hall? Well, it wasn't really an explanation. I mean, I, I was, you know, he, he was the first black player. I think it's more nuanced than that, in that he was the first black player, but he didn't have Jackie Robinson's career. He only played 45 games in the NHL, right? So he didn't have that transcendent, society-changing um, impact that Jackie Robinson did. He made the Hall of Fame, it's important to note, as a builder, not as a player. So, so he had to work these last 22, 23 years to carve out that 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 definitive statement of, of his impact on the game as a builder. And that's what he did. So it took that second, I think the combination, but but largely so in terms of percentages, that second body of work that really got him in. You know, you, you talked about the status quo, Brian, and I think the status quo would have been for someone who achieved so much as he did and went through so much to get where he did, that he then end up being bitter as he was a you know worked in security and worked the other jobs that he did to provide for his family. Did you ever get a sense of bitterness from Willie? Yeah, it's 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 such an important question. Never is the huh. is the short answer. He 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 is um, literally the most earnest, humble, self-effacing man I've ever met. Zero bitterness. He, he felt as though he was in exactly the right place at exactly the right time. Um, he didn't realize, for instance, that he broke the color barrier. He, you know, there's a friend of his who says he didn't want to be the first black player in the NHL. He just wanted to make the NHL, right? That's what he cared about. And, um, you know, so bitterness just isn't part of his DNA. It's just not how he how he's made. He he's all about being grateful for the opportunities that he's received, grateful to the people of Fredericton, New Brunswick for uh, allowing him to grow in an environment where race wasn't for first and foremost in their minds. Um, and, and to just as a result, he, he got provided amazing opportunities and he took advantage of them. Did he ever think about or have these conversations with you about what his life may have been like if he had grown up in the U.S. and not Canada? You know, it's interesting. Um, he, he, we never really talked about it in depth. It was kind of understood, you know. It was understood that... Um, he went down, and it's part of the film. I don't want to give away too much, but it's part of the film. He he was Willie was an unbelievable baseball player. He probably had the talent to play pro baseball, and he, and he went down. He tried out with the then Milwaukee Braves down in Georgia uh, to their farm system, and he really got a, his first taste at, at, at you know as a you know um, early twenties um, person. He got his first taste in the nineteen fifties of of what was happening, and, and it was jarring to him. Um, you know, he tells an amazing story. He tells a bunch of amazing stories about that experience. So so he, he really appreciated Fredericton uh, that much more after, after that experience. And, and frankly, in making this film, um, you know, I'm a lot younger than Willie, but I, I was born in 65, and it, and it made me realize what, what I what – I, how lucky I was. I grew up – I moved from Chicago to, to St. Marie, Ontario – when I was five years old, so 1970. So I missed Jim Crow by about a minute. And I didn't really fully internalize that or appreciate that until I worked on this film. So so what type of experiences then, Brian, did you have growing up playing hockey in Canada in the 70s and then playing in, in youth tournaments? And I'm sure that you came to the U.S. And, and you ended up playing college hockey that allowed you to relate to anything that Willie may have gone through. 
Yeah, I, well, first first and foremost, I never had a teammate of color. That really bothered me. Huh. I was the only guy out there, right? When did you realize that? Um, when You know, when I was a teenager, when I was like, man, I, I never had a black teammate here. Huh. What's going on? You know, I played with native kids and, you know, Canada and whatnot, but... But you know, I was the only black player, and and that that bothered me as I got a little bit older, and 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 then when it, all the way to the time I got to the NHL, and I said I got to do something about this, and um, but you know, yeah, there was name calling, and you know, and there was, there was there was some you know, not 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 like really oppressive or overt, um, name calling, um, in in games because in Canada it was just it, it not that Canada does have doesn't have its own issues, they have they have a lot of racial issues. But um, but it's not the same as it is in the states. Um, so so I felt somewhat insulated. Um, you know, as much as longing for you know a, a community of, of other hockey players that look like me, I also though felt um, as though I could go out and do my best and 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 you know rise or fall based on my ability and my merit. And when you ended up playing in college, did things change at all? Um, not really. I went to um, I went to West Point and um, and then and then to tr- finished up at Trinity College. I got hurt and didn't play at West Point. But uh, but at Trinity College, um, you know, I had an unbelievable coach there named John Dunham, one of the all time great coaches in the NCAA, and he's got the record to prove it in terms of victories. Um, and at least on our team, and and we played in the NESCAC conference, small um, you know small Ivy type of um, environment didn't feel didn't feel that on the ice uh, in any situations and and I just I felt I had this comfort amongst my teammates and, and amongst the the tone that John Dunham set that there was just no way that any of that would ever be tolerated are things getting better for kids of color in the hockey world I know we see a bunch in the NHL now but at the youth levels yeah I'd love to say yes but I can't um, the film explores this too I mean in, in a in a hypercharged racial environment that's being created from the most senior people in the world, um, you know, that trickles down. And kids, all kids feel that, whether they're on the ice or whether they're on a football field or whether they're in a classroom. You know, my, my kids, my kids, I have three children, 21, 15, and 13, and and my kids feel that. They, they, they you know, I worry about my kids every time they leave my house. You know, and, and people wonder why black voters, you know, feel so strongly about certain things. It's because our kids' lives are in danger. Because our kids our kids are threatened. That's scary. And that's really dangerous. And that really brings it home. Okay? Um, never mind if we were immigrants or, or you know, other uh, audiences or other um, people that were that were being, you know, subject to to um, rhetoric that's just not acceptable and and is not in, in keeping with you know what the United States is and and has been for many many years. So that permeates from the top. I, I hate. I'd like to put it another way. I don't mean to be political, but it does. No, it's and and it's and it's a fact. And look, I, I mean, Eden is she's almost five, and you know, I, I've I've talked to her about school shootings and and they have the drills in school but they don't call them school shooting drills and she's you know in pre-k but that's exactly what they are and but i know that my conversations with her are different than your conversations with your kids at at what age did you start having those types of here's how you need to protect yourself type conversations with your kids 
Yeah, at a very young age, um, you know, it was it was it wasn't as much to the how do you protect yourself as what's expected of you. You have to work a little harder. You have to be a little more diligent. You have to. Um, you can't ever excuses aren't acceptable. You know, in, in my house is, is how I put it to my kids, and that's how they've grown up. Um, because there are certain advantages to being, um, you know, to looking a certain way, and, and people will debate that. But you know, um, there's a long history here that that uh, of of, um, uh, of systemic stuff that has happened. I won't get into all the details, but I can argue it at length. Um, great book right now if you want to really dig into it, called um, The Color of Law amazing amazing book about you know how housing and, and just in that one realm how the legal structures put in place by the government of the united states have segregated this country so with that type of overview we, we've done our best to help our kids understand the landscape how to navigate that landscape be it to the positive in terms of working harder but also to the uh defensive in terms of you know you've got to got to be aware and alert as to as to what can hurt you all right so let's close with the film again what where can folks see it next what's the latest on the film and and what is next sure sure and i appreciate that the um the film the film debuted at uh, the largest documentary film festival in north america in april and we were fortunate enough to finish third out of 200 some films uh, which is incredible um, that largely is a testament to the work of my partner on the film, the director and co-producer Laurence Matthew Leger. She's an incredible director. She really captured the spirit of, of what we were after and, and Willie's um, legacy and, and his generational impact. Um, so so that we were off to a roaring start. Now, we've, we've been accepted at another six film festivals that will be appearing um, that we'll be appearing in throughout the fall. In parallel with all of that, first one's in Martha's Vineyard in, in two weeks, not at the film festival, but at, at a private screening. And uh, in parallel with all of that, we are in conversations with some of the largest companies that are household names on the streaming side. There's also, we've been approached by, we've had offers already, but we're looking to maximize. What we really want to maximize on is getting this film to millions and millions of children. This is an educational film. Um, as well as a lot of other things, it's, it, it really, really touches on a lot of really cool, interesting historical footnotes. But we, you will see this film either in a theater or in a streaming service um, at some point this fall or in early 2000. We also, um, you know, with our fingers crossed behind our backs, um, we're going to put our we're going to put our, our foot forward towards major award consideration. So that will impact where we end up as well. So I guess that it's a long way of saying TBD, uh, <laughs> but but it will be shown widely. We're, we're excited about it. And we've had unbelievable support uh, and great partnership from J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, Ted Leonsis, Sheila Johnson, um, Earl Stafford from the Washington Capitals Ownership Group, two of the three black owners of the NHL. And, uh, and the NHL provided amazing footage that helped us make the film. Yeah, and folks can stay up on it. Just go to Willie Doc. That's W-I-L-L-I-E Doc, D-O-C, WillieDoc.com, and you can see the latest and, and where they may end up seeing it in the future. And it's, uh, it's inspirational, it's moving, and it's a must-see whenever you get the chance. Brian, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Noah. Appreciate it. Again, it's Willie Doc, 
Com. That's where you can read more about the story, find out where the film is showing next, and I'm sure once it's picked up by a major distributor, you'll be able to find out all the information right there. When it comes to Bryant, a word I'd use to describe him is impressive. From his education at West Point to Trinity to Harvard to his professional work and how he carries himself, it's all impressive. And I hope you could sense it too, not just his impressiveness, but the passion he spoke with about Willie O'Ree, the man and the project. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it. I know there are so many of you that listen who haven't done this yet on Apple Podcasts. It's so easy and it means so much. And if you're not an Apple person, download the Vocal app or go to vocalnow.com, V-O-K-A-L now.com. Thanks for taking the time to join us on The Follow-Up. The Follow-Up is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L now.com. Dot com.